Well, Gia Deepsha, Shaw, Jerry Adams Arish, August Morris Gratis, Sola Gumsa, Gwil Shibsha, Gumoy. Just reflecting in the uh, back of the recent assembly election, you know, it was never supposed to be like this. And, and I watched with interest as one BBC presenter reporting on the assembly election results, told his largely British audience that the Northern state was deliberately created to ensure that nationalists and Republicans would be a permanent minority and that no nationalist or Republican leader could ever take up the mantle of Prime Minister or First Minister. No way, that wasn't done. It was to be a unionist state ruled in perpetuity by a permanent unionist majority. Special laws, gerrymandered electoral boundaries, Special Powers Act, the repression of the state police, the old RUC, and the B-specials. And a deep-rooted sectarian system of political and religious discrimination, all these combined to create an apartheid arrangement. The civil rights campaign, the decades of conflict, and eventually the peace process, and the Good Friday Agreement in 1998 changed this by gradually transforming the political landscape. Regrettably, not everyone has embraced the new dispensations. There remain those within unionism who still see nationalists and republicans as second class, not worthy of respect, not worthy of equality, not worthy to hold the position of first minister. They remain trapped in an ethos and a culture that has long passed its sell-by date. Notwithstanding this, last week's assembly election changed the fundamentals. There is now a Sinn Féin First Minister designate, Michelle O'Neill. Sinn Féin is the largest party in the assembly. It received a historic quarter of a million first preference votes. The increase in support for the Alliance Party and the drop in support for unionist parties is also evidence of a fundamental shift in our electoral politics. The priority now is to get the Assembly and Executive up and running. Political leaders need to face up to the mounting challenge for citizens of increasing fuel, energy and food costs. People are confronted by a cost of living crisis unparalleled in recent decades and they need urgent government support to chart a way forward. Almost all of the political parties are ready, willing and able to come together to meet this challenge. The DUP are not, and that's their choice. But their determination to hold everyone to ransom over a protocol they negotiated, and which was introduced by the British government, starkly underlines once again the deeply flawed nature of the Northern state. Republicans are prepared to work the institutions in the interests of all our people. That doesn't diminish our commitment to or our ongoing efforts to persuade others of the merits of a united Ireland. On the contrary, through greater All-Ireland cooperation and harmonisation, the imperatives of un unity will become even clearer. In addition, tackling the cost of living crisis in the longer term and confronting poverty and inequality is only possible in the context of a united Ireland in which the people of our island have control over our own affairs. No British government, leaving aside Boris Johnston, his 
<sighs> attitudes. No British government is going to tackle the cost of living crisis or to pay for the policies needed to meet these challenges. They rule here in their little Englander interest, not in the interest of the people who live here. And this reality underlines the need for planning for change and for a rigorous debate on the merits of self-government, of a national democracy and of the unity of our people and our island. 100 years ago, constitutional change was imposed by fear and intimidation at the point of a gun and under threat of terrible war. That cannot be the way forward today. Any constitutional change must be democratic and peaceful. It must be rooted in the principles and the ethos of equality, parity of esteem and moving forward in harmony. It has to be planned for. The Irish government cannot bury its head forever in the sand and say no to the logic of dialogue. A citizens' assembly in which all matters pertinent to constitutional change can be discussed with imagination and good faith is an obvious forum for this. There will be a unity referendum. Republicans are not seeking it today or tomorrow. We want an inclusive and powering process leading to an informed decision. We don't need a rerun of Brexit. That means planning and working with others to build the best possible future. The reality is that the Assembly election marks a dramatic step change, another of those historic moments when hope and history rhymes. The overwhelming majority of people, of citizens on this island, want our future to be different from what went before. We want a better future. Those who voted last Thursday want those they have elected to represent their interests, to make power sharing work and to shape a new future and to make that future better than our past. And another pertinent and related issue, and none of us know, you know what's going to come out of the machinations of the British Prime Minister or her Foreign Minister, whether they're going to put it up to the European Union, whether they're going to continue to huff and to puff, we don't know. And that will emerge uh, in, in due court, in due course. But let's be mindful that the government in London has been hollowing out or attempting to hollow out the Good Friday Agreement principles. They did that in relation to legacy. They, they have failed thus far to bring forward despite promises, Act Nagilga, and they intend to replace the Human Rights Act with the British Bill of Rights. And in a letter to Boris Johnson recently, over 50 human rights groups warned of the dire consequence this move will have, particularly in respect of the Good Friday Agreement. A key component of the agreement was its recognition of the importance of protecting and safeguarding human rights. The agreement affirmed a series of core rights, the right to free political thought, the right to freedom and expression of religion, the right to pursue democratically uh, espoused national and political 
aspirations, the right to seek constitutional change by peaceful and legitimate means, the right to freely choose one place of residence, the right to equal opportunity in all social and economic activity, regardless of creed, class, disability, gender or ethnicity, the right to freedom from sectarian harassment and the right of women to full and equal political participation. Underpinning these rights, the British government introduced the Human Rights Act in 1998 and completed the incorporation of the European Convention on Human Rights, the ECHR, incorporated into law. In addition, there was to be a separate Bill of Rights for the North. Almost immediately, the Conservatives and the Unionists opposed the introduction of a Bill of Rights. They successfully opposed its introduction at every opportunity. To further their attack on the concept of citizens' rights, the Tories announced in the 2015 election manifesto that they would scrap the Human Rights Act 1998, and in its place they would introduce a British Bill of Rights, which will restore common sense to the application of human rights in the United Kingdom. The Bill of Rights the Tories now propose falls far short of what is needed. Recently, Barbara Bolton, who is Head of Legal and Policy at the Scottish Human Rights Commission, said, The reality is the rights enshrined in the Human Rights Act touch all areas of our lives. Our family life, freedoms, privacy, and the right to be protected by the state from violence and harm. Additionally, and in the North, the Human Rights Act is also a foundation of rights protection in the exercise of policing. The decision to scrap the Human Rights Act is a direct attack on the Good Friday Agreement. One result of such a move would be the British government breaching its international obligations. However, as we know only too well from the Brexit experience, Tory governments, and especially Boris Johnson, don't accept that they are bound by international law. Breaking agreements is second nature. The British government is intent on diluting human rights and abandoning any notion of accountability. This would make it more difficult for citizens to challenge bad decisions by government through the courts. Its underlying ethos is about promoting inequality in society and denying justice. Amnesty International has said that the Human Rights Act carefully and precisely protects individuals' rights. Amnesty dismisses Tory claims that there is public support for reform. Amnesty also warned that the repeal of the HRA would undercut public confidence in the new political and policing arrangements that emerged from the Good Friday Agreement. A former Chief Commissioner of the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission, Emily Logan, warned some years ago that a repeal of the Human Rights Act would have negative consequences for the uniformity of human rights standards across these islands. So no effort should be spared in opposing any effort to subvert the human rights components of that agreement. And the Irish government has a primary responsibility and obligation to do this. And talking of the Irish government, and as a footnote, Simon Coveney, the Irish Foreign Affairs Minister, he, he was gracious in his response to the election results and Michelle O'Neill's success in becoming First Minister-designate. 
And Tanishta Leoparadkar was most ungracious. And then Taoiseach Michal Martin was even worse. I wonder why. Sore losers, sour grapes, are just bad manners. And we'll go out this week with the Clancy brothers and God bless England. Keep your mates, Yipsha, Gunyuri, and Ta Lipsha. Amor, Orov. Oh, I'll tell you a tale of peace and love, back from the diddle on the day to day. Of the land that rules all lands above, back from the diddle on the day to day. May peace and plenty be her share, who kept our homes from want and care. Oh, God bless England is our prayer. Back from the diddle on the day to day. Back from the diddle on the day to day. So we say, hooray! Come and listen while we pray, whack for the diddle of the day-do-day. Now our fathers oft were naughty boys, whack for the diddle of the day-do-day. For pikes and guns are dangerous ties, whack for the diddle of the day-do-day. At Ballinahabwe and at Peter's Hill, oh, we made poor England cry her fill. But old Britannia loves us still. Whack for the diddle of the day, do day. Whack for the diddle of the day, do day. So we say, every God bless England, so we pray. Whack for the diddle of the day, do day. Now when we were savage, fierce and wild, whack for the diddle of the day, do day. Oh, she came as a mother to her child, whack for the diddle of the day, do day. She gently raised us from the slime. And kept our hands from hellish crime. And she sent us to heaven in our own good time. Oh, whack for the diddle of the day, do day. Oh, whack for the diddle of the day, do day. So we say, hooray! God bless England, so we pray. Whack for the diddle of the day, do day. Oh, now Irish men forget the past. Whack for the diddle of the day, do day. And think of the day that's coming fast. Whack for the diddle of the day, do day. When we shall all be civilized, neat and clean, and well advised. Oh, won't Mother England be surprised? Whack for the diddle of the day, do day. Whack for the diddle of the day, do day. So we say, hey, God bless England, so we pray. Whack for the diddle of the day, do day.